0: Sounds scientific, so it must
1: be true. I'm living out my dream right now.
2: Look, here's Kate and a hot lesbian celebrity. I only have a stapler as my defense. This is Red Flag City right here. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast I'm one of your hosts, Calissa Mullis, and I'm joined by Kate Colvin
0: and Will Wallace.
2: Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 3, Fireflies. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, alpha and beta. The beta section is for first timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes. Full Moon AMAs, and the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com slash rtbhpodcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rtbhpodcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at Return to Hills at gmail.com.
0: This week's episode is titled Fireflies. It was written by Lucas Sussman and directed by Tim Andrew. In it, Scott, Derek, and Isaac struggle to track moon-crazy Cora and Boyd, so they get reinforcements in the form of Chris and Allison. Lydia discovers a dead body without even knowing what drew her to its location. With Melissa's help, Stiles realizes that there's another threat killing people besides Boyd and Cora. Derek lets the betas attack him to keep them from hurting anyone else and ends up rescuing Beacon Hills High School's new English teacher.
3: Our favorite quote from this episode comes from Styles, no surprise there. He says, "It's like the freaking shining over here. Two little twin girls come out of the woods start asking me to play with them forever and ever. I'm not going to be surprised." And our honorable mention for this episode is also from Styles. He says, "God, man, what is that? Is that brain matter? Yeah, it's brain matter, of course."
0: Poor Styles. <laughs> he just he's always if if there's going to be like bodily fluids, and stuff like that. You can guarantee Styles is going to be there dry heaving somewhere. At the opening of the episode, two children run through the woods catching fireflies in jars.
3: The girl calls her little brother dumbass.
0: She did, and it was great. You know, I've seen her before. She, Oh, yeah, that's right. She was in the Pawnee Rangers episode of Parks and Rec.
2: Oh, that's a great
3: episode.
0: Yes, it is.
2: It's adorable. They're having fun until they're pursued by a feral werewolf. The kids flee to a shed but Boyd lifts it off of them like a cardboard box.
0: Damn Boyd. I think Boyd is the only werewolf whose mutton chops look good.
3: Wolfie chops.
0: I think it's because his hair is buzzed down all the way. It just looks extra good.
3: So the mutton chops don't like merge into the hair.
0: Exactly.
2: This actually goes a little bit differently in the script. So in the script, the boy goes and he's trying to catch fireflies. And it says, it flutters away leaving the other two fireflies behind. Coming closer, Billy notices that the other two are actually not fireflies. They're the glowing eyes of a werewolf.
0: I told you, Kate. Oh. As we were rewatching this, I was like, oh, I love this part. It's gonna be fireflies and then eyes are gonna come out. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, oh my God. I remember that. I thought I was crazy. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I think maybe because they choose to kind of do that later in the episode, maybe not like yeah. it twice, but it was originally in the script that it was going to be eyes.
0: Exactly, yeah, when we got to that bit later on, I was like, oh, this must have been what I was talking about, and that part is extra dope, but we'll talk about it then.
3: Luckily, Scott saves the day, even though it means losing track of Boyd, which he explains to Derek over the phone. They decide to track the feral wolves together. Scott says he has to drop something off first. And by something, he means the two human children that he just saved.
2: We get an extra moment in the script. Scott is actually shown carrying the kids away after rescuing them. It says, carrying a shocked Brianne and Billy under each arm, Scott gives a momentary but satisfied glance back to the darkness behind them as he races through the woods, fast as he can. Now, I think it's actually best that they cut him running with the kids under his arms because when we see Derek and Scott doing a supernaturally fast run in a a minute on screen. I don't love the way it looks. I think no. trying to do like Scott running with two kids like would just look a little lulzy. Yeah, yeah, that's
3: probably for the best.
2: I have a question for you guys though about this scene. So Scott rolls the jar out to distract Boyd, right? I feel like this is a strange decision the fireflies aren't known as swarming insects. What made Scott think that moon crazed Boyd would even take two seconds to look at the jar and care about the fireflies?
3: I feel like you should have smashed the jar. Like that's, that's going to make anyone or anything glance at least for a
2: second.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it was just something the writers thought would be cool.
2: I mean, it's cool. It's just, to me, it, it felt weird. The first time I watched it, I actually didn't notice that the kid had dropped the jar originally. I thought she dropped it during that scene and it was just like something that accidentally happened because Got then we it. find out there's something special about the fireflies right. I didn't realize until re-watching it that Scott is actually supposed to be the one who rolls it out there I didn't either there's actually a lot of added moments in the script that we don't actually end up seeing on screen and that includes during the conversation between Derek and Scott Derek says Boyd might be more dangerous anyway Scott asks, how come Derek says he's bitten core is born she might have more control
3: oh see i wish they would have included this this i think is interesting
2: yeah i think that would have been
3: interesting
0: absolutely meanwhile lydia heads to the store to get more painkillers
3: the butterflies that they show on her bedroom wall as she's leaving for the store don't strike me as very lydia ish
0: yeah maybe her mom put those there
2: i could definitely see her mom hiring an interior decorator to do the house it's very teen girl but keep it classy
0: Mm-hmm. I do like the coat she has in this scene.
2: Me too. Love the emerald color.
3: I'm less enthusiastic about the nude heels, though. Scott and Derek realize that Cora and Boyd also decided to stick together. They're not sure whether that'll make them easier or harder to catch.
2: I find this a little strange. When they were locked up, Boyd and it core, we're going to tear each other apart. Derek says they are going to attack everyone and anyone they come across now, but they're able to stick together without any issue. It just feels strange. So maybe, I,
3: I know they're supposed to be filled with homicidal rage, basically. So maybe the idea is that if they were trapped in the vault together, they would have only had each other to go after. Whereas if they're out in the world, they have prey. And so their instinct is going to be to act as sort of like a pack. Because wolves, their instinct is to to hunt together.
0: Yeah, I can kind of see that. But I do feel like it is changing the rules in the next episode where it's like, oh my God, they're so murderous. They'll attack anything that comes into their path except an ally. You know, it's like, well, that's that's two things, you know? So, but I think it's just one of those things where it's like, in this episode, the stakes are, they're going to attack anyone that comes in their path. So don't get in their path inside of a vault. In the next episode, they're going to attack anything that comes in their path, but they're teaming up, you know? So it's just-
3: yeah, yeah they, they should have made a point of it. Like they should have had a character be like, why aren't they tearing each other apart? And had either Derek or maybe Chris, once they bring him into it, explain why that would be that this would be true in the wild too like if you have more than one wolf and then they have prey that they could attack together they will do that yeah but if you put two wolves together in a room and they're both hungry and there's nothing else they'll attack each other yeah because i feel like that's probably true
0: sounds scientific So it must be true. (laughs) I mean. Uh, No, I I think that bit of clarification would have been good just because in the previous episode, it was like, they're going to kill each other once the moonlight comes in. And then it's like, well, they're not really doing that anymore. Right, yeah. So, yeah. But I think a little bit of clarification would have been been good.
2: For her part, despite- Departing for the store, Lydia finds herself at a swimming pool instead. She finds a dead body seated in the lifeguard's chair.
3: Poor Lydia.
0: Indeed, but this is a great location.
3: I'd like to say, though, nothing good ever happens in a pool in Beacon Hills.
0: That is completely true. Ever? No, I don't even know why they have pools. They should have just all been drained and then, you know, turned them into parking lots. Or better yet, just triage centers.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) That would have been great to see.
0: Yeah. In a flashback, we see more of the conversation between Scott and Allison when he told her that her mother was trying to kill him the night Derek bit Victoria.
2: Finally! This took so long. (laughs) I know it's not like super exciting to open on a conversation, but I kind of don't love that this is flashback. I get a little annoyed that- we're seeing this in flashback instead of just having it happened when the episode
3: opened in real time.
2: Yeah. yeah. It just feels unnecessary to flashback like five minutes into the episode.
0: I think I it's just done to keep momentum that you yeah. want to start strong. I
2: get it, but no, but I, no, I agree. It feels 100%. weird too. Yeah. But
3: that also feels like kind of the consequence of how the story is being told. Like the fact that the show will end in a scene and then start kind of in that same moment instead of like, and a week later, here's where they are.
0: Yeah, You know, that, yeah. that's
3: kind of how Teen Wolf does things where like you might have a series of three episodes that all take place in the same day on Teen Wolf, which is kind of unusual. So I feel like they should just kind of lean into that, but that yeah. that's not quite like something like 24, but in the same way of like everything is happening kind of continuously. Yeah. The, this sort of breaks the, the rhythm a little yeah. bit.
0: I feel like this could have been an easy fix where you have the same teaser, you know, with the kids and all that. And then you just cut to Scott and Allison, you know, bombing down some backcountry lanes in a car, you know, that she's driving and he's trying to explain. And then you get to the end of the scene and she kind of pulls skids to a stop and he jumps out to then go meet Derek and all that. You know, so I think mm-hmm. you probably could have still had it happening in media's rest like you didn't have to be like oh but earlier this thing happened i think you could have actually done it all with them driving so
2: the conversation uh between allison and scott is a little different in the script allison says she tried to kill you scott replies it's okay allison asks how is that anywhere close to being okay scott replies i mean it doesn't matter now and then it goes into, why didn't you tell me?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I can. I mean, I see why they cut that, you know, just going straight to the the heart of the scene, you know, jump as far into a scene as possible and leave it as early as possible type mm-hmm. of thing.
2: It's funny cuz it reminds me actually of the moment when they break up and he's telling her that's okay and she's like how is this okay I'm trying Scott and trying to break up with you.
0: Oh, oh, I see that. Okay. That is a nice callback.
2: I did not
3: catch that at all. That's interesting. Scott explains that he couldn't let that be her last memory of her mother. They're interrupted by Derek carrying Erica's body out of
2: the vault. Seeing Derek holding Erica's lifeless body just hurts my soul.
3: I know. I wonder if Allison felt like a twinge of guilt at all here. Not for Erica being dead. That's obviously not related to her, but.
0: I really hope she did because she was totally the bad guy at the end of season two.
3: It's not even so much her anger that I find troubling. It's her hypocrisy. It's like, no matter what happens, she can't seem to rustle up much empathy for what the werewolves go through unless it's a werewolf that she's dating. Even when they lose loved ones like she did, it's like she feels that she has a right to hurt people when she's emotionally wounded, but they don't no matter what's been done to them.
0: Yeah out in the preserve in the present time teenage girlfriends caitlin and emily get cozy in a tent where caitlin has set up a romantic atmosphere
2: this is super romantic and cute however i do wonder why caitlin set up a camping date in the woods when emily clearly doesn't like bugs yeah (laughs) or nature that that is a solid question
0: yeah. It is. It's it is. It is important. What's also important is it's Zelda Williams in this scene. It's totally yes. awesome. And fun fact, Wolfies, she was a voice on The Legend of Zelda. I mean, no, no, no. I'm sorry. The Legend of Korra. Great show. <laughs> Watch it. She plays the bad guy in one of the seasons and she's absolutely fantastic in it.
3: She's also in We're the World Mine, a fantastic gay musical.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Musicals are great and gays are great. So double great
2: exactly oh hey Will. there's a lord of the rings reference in there for you
0: the show was written just for me
2: (laughs) but the romantic evening goes off the rails when emily sees bugs crawling everywhere which leads her to run away from the safety of the tent a mysterious force grabs her caitlin leaves the tent to look for emily but instead of finding her she encounters a transformed cora before cora can attack her isaac jumps out of the shadows and faces off with cora scott joins the fight as well as Derek, and cora flees Scott tells a frightened Caitlin she needs to get out of the woods right away. Yeah, but where's my girlfriend? Would be a good question to ask, but she's got a lot, a lot going on there. Yeah. I love Isaac's face when he looks up, when he first like backflips into the you know whatever it is he does because they're all so ridiculous circus werewolves.
3: He does a lot of smirking in this episode.
2: Yep. The script actually says, crouched in an attack pose, Isaac peers up with a smile. He loves to fight. Also, his fighting scarf is so majestic.
3: Just billowing in, in the breeze. It's like a cape.
2: <laughs> in the script, there's something interesting that we don't see on screen. Whenever Cora first appears, it says, "Cora steps into the light, a fearsome looking werewolf, blood spattered across her cheek. She slowly approaches her prey and we don't see any blood on her as far as I can tell. Yeah. Hmm. That is strange. Yeah. So I don't know where the blood would have come from.
0: Maybe they were thinking that if she showed up already blood splattered, they're like, we failed, you know, because they didn't stop her from killing somebody or maiming somebody. So
2: maybe they, they took that out. What happened to the whole Cora and Boyd sticking together thing that was established like two seconds ago? Yeah. Plot convenience.
3: Styles answers Lydia's call and shows up at the pool.
2: I'm not 100% sure because I don't get a great look at it, but I think that might be the same car that Danny was driving last season.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
3: So
2: it looks like my car. <laughs> that's what Danny was driving last said
0: Gotcha. Well, those sparkly white Adidas are going to get some blood on them, though. Look out, Styles. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pretty sure Dylan O'Brien like wore those outside of Teen Wolf for like five years. Nice. Four years. However long it's been off the air. <laughs> He's Dylan O'Brien. Really seemed attached to those Adidas and was wearing them all the time.
0: They are cool shoes.
2: Lydia tells him that she's already called nine one one. Styles is shocked that she called the cops before him. She sarcastically asks if she's supposed to call him first when she finds a dead body, to which he responds with the non-sarcastic "Yes."
3: His mouth gets so big there.
0: Styles, you shouldn't be screaming at a trauma victim.
2: In his defense, he is also a trauma victim.
3: Not really in this scene, though. I mean, she just showed up and found uh, a body. Like he gets a I didn't know phone we were call. just
2: talking about like this scene. I thought it was just like because, like, in terms of long-term trauma like she's had more but he has already at this point been kidnapped and beaten and stuff.
0: Right. I was but, thinking I more mean, in this in this point.
2: Okay.
3: Yeah, like he he knows when he's going there that there's going to be a dead body because she tells him over the phone versus like She's just trying to get some freaking Tylenol <laughs> and here's a dead body.
2: I do think they need to establish standard protocol for the finding of bodies because you know, not first won't be the last. Yeah,
3: clearly, this keeps happening. So yeah, their yeah, their their group needs a standard operating procedure for sure.
0: They need a binder. It's like, <laughs> here's what you just flip open to a tab, found a body, flip to tab six, you know. Mm-hmm. Here's what you do. Styles calls Scott, who asks him to take a closer look to confirm that the victim Lydia found was killed by Boyd and Cora. Styles takes a closer look and notices the victim was wearing a purity ring.
3: Scott assumes from Styles's description that Boyd and Cora were indeed to blame. Derek, on the other hand, points out that the public pool is far away from everywhere they've tracked Boyd and Cora. Isaac just looks on, as they argue.
0: Is this Isaac's first scarf ever on the show?
3: Yeah, I think the scarf he wears in this episode is the introduction to Isaac and his
0: scarf collection. Oh, it's so big and poofy. Get used to that, folks.
2: I just imagine Derek giving him money and sending him to the mall to go buy himself new clothes. Oh.
0: They had like a pretty woman montage. Yeah. <laughs> big mistake.
2: Huge. Scott dismisses Derek's line of questioning. He insists that Boyd and Cora killed an innocent person and they, Scott and Derek, are to blame.
3: Technically, Allison's to blame. The Alpha Pack too, of course, because they kidnapped Boyd and Cora. Then Allison released them. So...
0: My esteemed co-host is correct here, folks.
3: Also, I find it interesting that in the last episode, Scott was like, we don't have enough information. We're acting too rashly. We're not thinking it through. Then in this episode, Derek is like, how are they getting to the other side of town so quickly on foot? And Scott's like, quiet, quiet. They killed someone, Derek. (laughs) It feels like whenever Derek's saying, we have to go in now, we're on a time crunch. Someone says, you're wrong, Derek. And then when he says, can we try to reason this out? It's like, you're wrong, Derek. The thing is, he was right in the last episode. They only had until Moonrise to save the moon-starved werewolves. The only reason they didn't stay contained is because Allison broke the circle. And in fairness to Allison, she might have shared her plan of showing up at the bank if Scott had told her sooner about her mom. And then Derek is also right in this episode that it's illogical for Boyd and Cora to have gotten to the other side of town to kill lifeguard guys so quickly.
0: Yes. Whatever Derek says is incorrect. That's just the way it is. You'd think you'd be able to weaponize that later, where he's like, how do I get them to do what I want? Oh, hey guys, we shouldn't go in there. No, we have to, Derek. And they kick down the door and it's like, that's exactly what I wanted.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Derek doesn't seem to have mastered what most 12-year-olds have mastered, which is reverse psychology.
0: Maybe in wolf culture, they don't do reverse psychology because they can sense other people's heartbeats and sweating and things like that. They can read people's physical giveaways too much for that to work.
3: That's true. We have talked about that before, that it would make sense that werewolf culture is more straightforward and there's not a lot of double meaning and manipulative language and things like that. So if you're mad at someone, you just say, I'm mad at you, because they'd figure it out anyway. That's true. Or in Derek's case, we don't like you. Now shut up and help us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's a few points of dialogue that's different in the script. Scott says they need help. And Derek says, well, we've got Isaac now. And Scott says, I mean, real help to Isaac. No offense. Isaac responds, not exactly sure how I could take that any other way. <laughs>
3: I, I kind of like
2: that. Yeah, me too. Isaac also says, are we just going to hold them down till the sun comes up? Derek says, no, we tie them up. Find somewhere to keep them. The sentence dies in his throat. The futility of the situation bearing down on him. Derek continues, maybe it would be easier to just kill them.
3: Yeah, I did find it surprising and I wasn't sure how believable I found it that Derek brought up killing them in this scene because this is his little sister that he's thought was dead for six years. It feels like he would just be fighting really hard that killing them is just not an option.
0: Yeah, Caitlin admits to the police that she and Emily had split a tab of X, but she insists that she wasn't hallucinating when she saw a girl with glowing eyes, fangs, and claws, or when she encountered three men in the woods. Sheriff Stalinsky decides to put out an APB on Emily and the girl Caitlin saw once they get a usable description of the latter. His deputy is surprised that he believes Caitlin about the girl. Stalinsky says that she clearly saw something. The deputy guesses that means someone.
2: Uh, I like how they want a description of the three men i just like imagine caitlin being like so one was wearing a lovely scarf another had a crooked jawline and the last one had perfect stubble does that help you
3: so let's guess yes i know who all three
2: of these (laughs)
1: are (laughs) this
0: sheriff he's like he's like damn it scott (laughs) (laughs) he just knows exactly what's happening or he's or that he's like was are you sure there wasn't a fourth lanky kind of a dork and she's like no he's like thank god
3: (laughs) yes dodge that bullet (laughs) desperate to find boyd and cora quickly scott goes looking for chris argent he probably should have announced his presence though that way he might have avoided getting a gun in his face and he's just like uh hi poor scott he did not plan out what he was gonna say at all
0: i do like that about scott Even as he becomes more capable over time, he's still in a little over his head, always.
3: (laughs) Little goof.
2: Argent keeps the gun on Scott for a long ass time in this grocery store parking lot. I just imagine other people being like, man, this is why we got to do all of our shopping during the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Isaac, waiting with Derek in the car, expresses interest in Cora. Derek is not amused.
0: Isaac's like, no, no, no. It's totally cool. I'm into Scott anyway. It's fine.
2: I love that he's only seen her wolfed out while kicking his ass. And Isaac is like, so, uh, is she single? <laughs> nope. Yeah,
3: pretty much.
0: And Derek, Derek's like, seriously? He was like, I was locked in a freezer for years, okay? So let's calm down.
2: Wow. I think he just has a, he has a thing about people who kick his ass. Like, cause you yeah. know, he's also yeah. into Scott and Allison.
0: Yep. So...
3: He's not into Derek, so there's that.
2: father figure thing.
0: That's true. Yeah, that's true. Accurate. When Scott explains the situation, Chris asks why he should care about Derek's family or Boyd, whom he doesn't even know. Uh, It hasn't been that long since you and your daughter got all stabby-stabby, so come on.
3: Yeah, you kind of f***ing oh, Boyd, no? (laughs) Definitely. You have to atone for your mistakes. Admitting you're wrong is just the first step. You don't then get to be like, I'm out. Everything goes back to zero no red in my ledger.
2: The script has Scott answering whenever Argent says, I don't even know Boyd's last name. And Scott, you know, says, oh, Boyd is last name. What's his first name? Scott answers Vernon, which is probably why he goes by Boyd. Uh That's just a good point.
3: Yeah, I kind of like that.
2: (laughs) I do love, love, love the line from Argent, that world, your world decimated mine, my wife, sister, father, my entire family. Why would I ever step foot in it again? I mean, it's his world, not Scott's, which I feel like is weird. But I just love like the phrasing.
3: It is, yeah, it's good. So even though Chris is clearly unsure about getting back into all this, he asks Chris for a ride.
2: The script has an additional line when it comes to Argent driving him. Scott says, "Thanks again. I've been running for hours. I'm kind of beat, and I just need to meet up with Styles."
3: I can see why they why they cut it, but. It it does also make sense because it's like, if I were Chris and I were dead set on not getting into this, I would be like, "Uh, you can walk. You're fine.
2: Yeah, You're a werewolf, young man. (laughs) Beside the instruction that Boyd and Cora left in their wake is enough for Chris to come around. He tells Scott, Isaac, and Derek not to focus on trying to hunt the werewolves using tracks. Without a trained eye like Chris's, they wouldn't even know which prints were Boyd's, which Chris points out for them. Isaac chimes in that the other prints are chorus. Chris corrects him, saying that Isaac is pointing at his own prints.
0: He's like, oh, do I have dainty feet?
2: You know what? Isaac
3: has a very delicate bone structure.
0: I mean, he does. He is a delicate boy, and it works for him. I like it. He's willing to throw himself into a fight, but he's going to look good doing it.
3: Fighters can accessorize. Exactly. I like in the scene that Scott's body language is very open. He's listening. He's trying to learn. Isaac is kind of smirky and posture Derek is guarded and defensive.
0: Well, he is standing next to an argent.
3: Right. It makes sense. Scott and Isaac are like, this is fine. Derek's like, is it? He's allowing it because he realizes that this is probably the move. They don't have time for anything else
0: but he does not have to like it.
3: Yes.
2: I like that Scott has apparently learned the technique of manipulation and he used that on Argent for the scene.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. His
3: psychological warfare skills are improving.
0: Chris tells them to focus on their sense of smell. He also notes that they have higher heat signatures right now, making them easy to spot on infrared. Derek flashes his alpha red eyes and says, thanks, but he has his own.
3: Boom. Mic drop. Ass. Chris also reminds them that Boyd and Cora aren't actually wild animals. Though they are basically feral right now, They're still intelligent people underneath and they can use that intelligence even when it's suppressed. Meanwhile, Allison tracks Boyd and Cora on her own. You know, she'd make a pretty good serial killer. She would just have to learn how to lie first.
0: Yes, she has the makings for it, but she just doesn't know how to lie good. Mm, cannot lie good. Mm-mm.
2: I do love the whole montage cutting between Chris and the werewolves and then Allison doing her own thing. Yeah,
0: it is cool, but all the stuff she's doing does that ever play into the script?
2: Shh, don't worry, little pretty face. I, it well. <laughs> I <laughs> it mean,
0: doesn't it doesn't do anything.
3: It it does in the sense that she like she's there and she saves Isaac at the high school.
0: Right, but I mean all the but stuff she's setting up she, stuff in the woods. She's setting up stuff in the woods, but none of that actually plays out later. Like. None of that does anything. If we actually took out those parts of her doing stuff, we would never notice because nothing actually happens with that stuff.
2: That's true, yeah.
0: But still, it does look cool though.
2: For more information, Chris asked Derek when he last saw Cora. Derek says it's been years because he thought she died in the fire.
0: You know, not since there was an incident with a fire and an argent. You know the one. Yes, there's only one.
2: I feel like Chris would want to like, you know, backtrack out of that.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Gonna Homer Simpson his way back into that head. <laughs> <laughs> Chris asked Scott how confident he is in his skill at tracking by scent. Scott says that most of the time he's focused on ignoring the things he can smell.
2: I go to high school, so... Ah, uh, it's really rough. Yeah, I can only imagine the smell of hanging out with horny styles all the time in <laughs> the locker room that they're always in at the high yep. school. Just like, nah, nah, nah. bro. Never. Puts fix under his nose before he goes into class.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Chris explains that wolves in the wild hunt for food, but moonstarved werewolves will do it for the bloodlust. Their best bet might be to contain them until moonset. He asks if there's anyone in the high school at
0: night. Well, there used to be a janitor, but he got killed at night, so probably not anyone. <laughs> there it is. Gotta talk about Slappy at least once a season.
2: More like once an episode. <laughs> But I have a very fun fact for you guys. There was originally a line in the script that references Slappy that was cut.
3: <gasps> what?
2: Yeah. With, or to ask if anyone is inside the school, Scott says, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure they've had trouble hiring a new night dander since Peter kind of killed the last one.
3: Oh my God. Okay, they should
2: have left that in.
0: That should have been left in. My man Slappy has to be referenced.
2: <laughs> ah, that would have been awesome. Wow. I know. I was very excited whenever I saw that. That is Uh, so exciting. That is great. They decide to corral Boyd and... Cora into the high school boiler room to contain them for the rest of the night. Chris supplies them with ultrasonic emitters, tools that give off a high-pitched frequency that only wolves can hear.
0: I like those props. They are very cool. Kat Kastinger, our prop master, did a great job of those. I love the shot where Chris drops one out the window of the car and it just sinks right into the ground.
2: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: But it turns out they were wrong and Jennifer Blake is still at the school working on grading papers.
2: Uh, the dedication of a young wide eyed new teacher.
3: At Lydia's house, Lydia tells Styles he didn't have to follow her home, especially since she had a police escort. Styles says he knows the inner workings of the police force and they're not as reliable as people think.
0: Because they all die. Yeah, you're not wrong.
2: I'm a little surprised that, you know, I know there's a lot going on in town, but that Sheriff wasn't made aware that his son was at yet another crime scene with a body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lydia says Styles still didn't have to follow her into the bedroom. He acknowledges she has a point.
0: Yeah, don't be a creeper, Styles. Lydia admits to Styles that she doesn't know how she ended up at the pool. Styles says the last time something like that happened, it was because of Peter.
3: And speak of the devil, he shows up mysteriously to talk to Derek. What a
0: dramatic bitch.
2: Peter says what Derek is doing is futile. Deucalion orchestrated this to force Derek to kill the betas and join the alpha pack. Peter acts ambivalent about Derek's choice and explains that Derek will either have to kill them or let them, you know, kill a few homeless or drunk people.
3: Oh my god.
0: Wow. Oh, wait, is Peter the bad guy?
2: Peter's such a prick. Like Derek's yeah. like, you know, it's our long-lost relative cora and peter's like oh well like maybe we'll throw a reunion party later whenever you know things aren't dire
3: i know he's (laughs) he's terrible he's a horrible person
0: yeah awful meanwhile at beacon hills hospital melissa secretly takes styles to the morgue to examine the wounds on a couple of bodies that recently came in mama mccall she is just so beautiful and perfect and beautiful
3: she is (laughs) She shows Styles the body Lydia found, which, in addition to having had his throat ripped out, has ligature marks on the neck from strangulation and trauma to the skull. Those are not very werewolf like injuries, and any one of them individually could have killed him.
0: Uh, it's called due diligence, madam.
2: In the script, Melissa says, See the indentation. And Styles replies, In a second, I'm going to see my dinner all over the floor. <laughs> I like that. Oh, that was cute.
3: Files has a lot of uh, gag reflex moments throughout the show.
2: Yeah. This means Boyd and Cora didn't kill him. It was likely a murder, but not a random one. A girl in the morgue has the same injuries.
0: Bum, bum, bum. Mm -hmm. Outside the high school, Chris notices fireflies, similar to the ones the kids were catching in the opening scene. It's unusual seeing their glow because California fireflies aren't bioluminescent. Scott asks if that means something.
3: Well, probably, because you know what else isn't indigenous to California?
2: Wolves! I didn't know that fact about the fireflies in California. You learn something new every day.
0: Yeah, me either.
3: Where do they even get to be called fireflies then?
0: They're just flies, ugh!
2: <laughs> Boyd and Cora surprise the gang by going onto the school's roof.
3: Rampage, bros! Melissa shows Styles the other body with similar injuries. It's Heather the girl who went missing at her birthday party after taking Styles down to the wine cellar, the one he'd been friends with since they were little. Once he gets past the initial shock and sadness, something occurs to Styles. He's having a little Sherlock Holmes moment here.
2: I thought exactly the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) The script doesn't say anything about him crying. It's such a powerful moment, though. I guess that was all D.O.B.
3: And it makes sense. Like, I'm, I'm glad that that's in there because obviously we don't really get to see Styles and Heather being friends. We just get his dialogue saying that they'd been friends since they were little and took bubble baths together. Yeah. So it it feels right.
0: Yeah, it feels good. Heather mentioned being a virgin before she disappeared. Styles connects this with the sight of the purity ring on the finger of the body Lydia found.
3: I love the realization circle that the camera is doing around him in the scene to show visually how he's putting things together.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, if there had been Sherlock Holmes, there would have been stuff popping up on the screen. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Styles asked Melissa if there were any more bodies brought in. Melissa says there wasn't, but there was a girl brought in from the woods whose girlfriend went missing, Caitlin. Styles insists on seeing her.
3: Back at the high school, Chris volunteers to drive Boyd and Cora inside, but Isaac says he should do it because he's faster.
0: Are you calling me old son? Kinda. Allison helps by shooting arrows at them from atop a school bus, and it looks totally awesome.
3: And she's mastered reloading this season. Remember in Fury how she took one shot at the canima, And she did hit it, but then she was sort of admiring her handiwork, and we were like, girl!
0: Keep shooting, keep
3: shooting!
2: <laughs> I love the Isaac Allison moment here. This is when he realizes he's in love with her. He has a competence kink. Yes, yes he does. In the dark, Void and Cora's eyes look like fireflies.
0: Okay, stuff like this is Jeff's bread and butter. Finding images that connect like that. I love how the eyes cast light too onto the pipes around them. Reminds me of that shot in Ghostbusters 2 where that guy's walking down the dark corridor and his eyes are glowing. So cool.
3: Scott and Derek spray Boyd and Cora with fire extinguishers. Ah,
0: flame retardants are our one weakness. Ah, no.
2: (laughs) It's funny because Styles has also tried that trick. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah, in
0: season one. That's right. They managed to crowd Boyd and Cora into the boiler room and close the door. But then Scott hears something unexpected. There are three sets of heartbeats inside the boiler room, not two. That's because Ms. Blake, the English teacher, had been in the room getting supplies. Okay, all right, hold up, hold up. This brings up a very important question. Why are all the school supplies in, like, the scariest place in the school?
3: That is a good question. I mean, not because of the scary aspect but the boiler room that just seems illogical because of
0: the boiling yes
3: (laughs) but yeah i mean temperature wise it can't be a good place to store anything i know
2: Giles talks to caitlin and discovers that caitlin had made everything romantic for their date because it was going to be emily's first time caitlin asks if they're going to find her
0: oh parts of her probably
2: oh so rude. I feel like I could imagine Smiles saying that. <laughs> yes, that's exact.
0: Had had literally had not been like someone you know that he would like right in this moment. If like Peter brought that up, he'd be like, "Well, parts of him or something like that," you know. Right. So yeah, <sighs> yeah.
3: <laughs> Derek prepares to go into the boiler room. Scott says that if he goes in alone, either he'll kill them or they'll kill him. Derek says that's why he's going in alone.
0: Uh, no chance, no choice. I think Brianna Tarth from Game of Thrones is a Derek analog. At one point, she runs into an impossible situation and tells herself, no chance, no choice.
3: Aww.
0: It's great. Derek goes in and lets Boyd and Cora tear him to shreds. Oh my God, the scene is just filled with great shots.
3: It is. It's beautifully filmed. And I love the two shot of Derek and Boyd roaring at each other.
0: Oh my God, it's so good. And we get some great Dino scoring. Dino, why are you doing this to us? <sighs>
2: My heart hurts probably as much as Derek is hurting here. Ouch. I really like the way the script writes this though. It says inside Derek desperately tries to fight off Cora and Boyd without actually fighting them. And then finally he stops fighting. Arms outstretched, hands wrapped around their necks. Derek holds off Boyd and Cora even as they slash his body, forcing him to his knees while he struggles to outlast, trying simply to endure. Blood flying from every claw slash. Their savage attack only intensifies. Gritting his teeth, Derek closes his eyes and endures.
0: I remember vividly reading this script for this episode and getting to that part where it's just, he endures. And I was like, I can't wait to see this. And it just blew my mind actually seeing the episode and how perfectly done it was. And that's, that word, I think is, if you, children, if you look up the word endure, in your Webster's dictionary, there's just a picture of Derek right <laughs> oh. next to that word. And it's the truth. That is, I feel like that's the one way to describe him that's most accurate. It's just endures. Mm.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. At sunrise, Isaac and Scott come inside to find Derek half passed out on his knees.
0: Oh, what a badass. And we've talked about this before, but this is, again, Derek in a nutshell.
3: It is. And that that description is to the, the point where he's just like, the only way out is through.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
3: You know, the the buck stops here, if you will. Oh, yeah. Derek comes to and says that he'll take care of the teacher. And Scott and Isaac are like, no arguments from us.
0: For <laughs> I know. Like, what? Buddy, Uh, maybe you should take that shirt off and heal up a little bit first.
2: He should definitely take the shirt off. Uh, <laughs> in the script, it says, Derek steps inside. With the light streaming in about him, he looks like a Greek god come down from Olympus to save her. My God.
3: Wow. Interesting.
0: <laughs> right? Styles explains to Scott what he's figured out. Heather, Emily, and the guy from the pool make three victims, all virgins, with the same three injuries. It's called the threefold death. And it means they're human sacrifices. Oh, I love the chanting in the background here.
3: Well, I guess I should go apologize to Derek for- I'm just kidding. I couldn't even finish the joke. No, no one's going to apologize to Derek. That's silly.
0: (laughs) Nope, never. Never, ever, unfortunately. Well, I mean, I mean, wait, I bet Styles apologizes sometimes, even if, sadly, we never see it. You know, he sends him some very nice texts, fruit baskets, the like.
2: He says things like, I'm sorry, you're such a stubborn asshole.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, now let me apologize alright wolfies that wraps up the beta section for fireflies and now we're about to dive into spoilers not just for this episode but for the whole Teen Wolf series if you want to stay spoiler free for all the excellent stories to come jump out now and we'll catch you next week but if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more don't move a muscle here comes the alpha
1: let Scott deal with it let him be the hero of his morally black and white world The real survivors You and I, we live in shades of gray. Then again, even if you did kill them, you're still an alpha. You can always make more werewolves.
0: All right, wolfies. Now we're going to jump over to our interview with Brian Patrick Wade, who played Ennis in season 3A of Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen
1: hey what's up guys how you doing hey how hi. you doing man hi doing good hey hey thanks for having me on i don't know why you really want to talk <laughs> with me but i guess we're all in the same boat i'm here no it, it's <laughs>
0: it's great no we've been we've been talking to a lot of great people and just reaching out to everybody and we're now in season 3a and the alpha pack yeah. is really cool and it's just we're trying to get everybody and so we're so cool. happy that you yes were able to make some time to chat with yeah. us about a show that we all love all right, well, shall we dive in? Yeah, man, let's do it. Excellent.
3: How did Teen Wolf come into your life?
1: Yeah, I was actually in the middle of changing agencies. And I, this was the first audition that came down the pike from my agent still, but my, this agent that I was, was uh, I guess, having meetings with. Uh, Pakula King, Joel King is his name, the owner of, of Pakula King. And he goes, well, I had just had a meeting at his office to meet him and his team. And he goes, hey, we just, ha- we just, um, I just saw in the breakdowns, uh, Teen Wolf is casting this, this group of alphas and, and one of the characters you're perfect for, which I know we're not officially signed or whatever, but would you like to go out and audition for it? When we'll, we'll we'll get you in there, I said. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so you see how it goes. And so that was that. You know, I went in, I auditioned. I think I went back two or three more times, maybe, read for Jeff. And and um, and then that was it. Ennis was born.
2: So, was there anything that you had to do to prepare for the role of Ennis?
1: Well, I mean, I think like any job, it's like, man, there was there was so much when I came on to the show. What season three, right? Yeah, three A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three A there was already such a fan base. Right. And then, and, and you hear people talk about it. And then of course I grew up, uh, with the original Michael J. Fox, Teen Wolf. And, and I know it didn't have a lot of correlation at that point, but it was still such an important job for me to be like, wow, there's a, there's a lot of people that love this show and have a huge cult following. I want to make sure that I can, you know, bring the smoke on this one. So, you know, just, I, I preparing I guess was more of just staying in this kind of intense intimidating kind of manner whenever I was on set just because he was the I guess the enforcer of the alpha pack you know Deucalion had all the brains and was was obviously strong in his own right but this guy was the enforcer so I just wanted to be able to to portray that so
2: that makes sense yeah
1: makes complete sense
2: how would you describe the atmosphere on the Teen Wolf set
1: that oh, was great. It was great. It, you know, it was funny to be on set with younger people that you know were on a hit show, and I was really impressed, especially with Tyler Posey, just how he carried himself. He was a just a sweet kid. The atmosphere for me, anyway, when I when it, when I was there was was nice. It was. It was a good environment to work. It was intense at times, for sure, man. We shot a lot of long hours on that show, a lot yeah. of long hours, a lot of night shoots. But it never got to the point where the cast, the crew, the producers, anyone was ever getting angry or, or you know, pissed or anything like that. It was always a pretty, pretty chill environment, even at hour fourteen of shooting at night in an abandoned mall when it was freaking thirty degrees outside and golly. <laughs> Uh, but it was, it was great like those nights man I remember multiple times Jeff or or whoever would come up to us hey guys you know we know it's been a long day we have a coffee a coffee truck that we just hired to come out for a couple hours to help everyone get through the night and that's really cool uh, I, I've been on a lot of sets where we've shot a lot of long hours where where no one ever thinks of that so it was it was a very I don't know, I would say cast first environment which is cool
2: Great to hear.
1: Yeah. Jeff was always talking to Joe or or Karen or, or any of
0: the other producers. And it's like, How many hours are they working tonight? It's like, all right, well, we need to do something. You know, so it was always like, who do we have on standby? Which, which, which truck is it? Because I remember there was there was one night we were we were at a stage, but it was like an all-nighter. It was gonna be an all-nighter. And it was like, Well, here's the in and out truck for you, everybody, or, or this or that. And and so it was, you know, because unfortunately we did have a lot of long nights, you know, yes, and the, but it's just it's it's honestly really Russell Mulcahy's fault because he makes nighttime look so good on the show that you're the like, well, Russell. let's just let's put it let's at set it at
3: nighttime. Just set yeah. it at
0: nighttime because it'll be beautiful. Yeah. And that's what matters. So yeah. We yeah. but- did a lot of night shoots, man. That but worth good. it. How would you compare Teen Wolf to other shows you've
1: worked on, like Arrested Development or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Well, shoot, Arrested Development was such a little short stint. But, and, uh, you know, like a lot of the comedies that I've worked on, I love comedy. I love doing comedy. From the very first project I ever got Bring It On to, to what most people, you know, recognize me from is the Big Bang Theory. Comedy is amazing. And, and being able to go to work uh, knowing that you're going to crack up all day long as your job is is a really fun thing, especially when you're surrounded by people like Johnny Galecki and and Jim Parsons and and um, you know all those great comedy actors. It's it's just a fun fun gig. Agents of Shield, totally different job, but every bit is fun in its own right. I mean, I mean, I remember when I got that job, I didn't even know who I who I was auditioning for. It was so hush hush, and Marvel makes you sign a billion NDAs every time <laughs> you audition um, that you know, you're, you're half scared to death to even mention that you're auditioning for something for Marvel. But to be able to play an original Stan Lee creation such as Carl Creel was just a freaking amazing job. I mean, amazing job. I would play that character for the next decade and ride it to the sunset if they let me. So, and then, you know, Teen Wolf, where Teen Wolf stacks up, man, it's it's up there with all of those jobs for me. Big Bang Theory, Shield, Generation Kill. I loved my time on Teen Wolf. I love the the process of uh, going through the transformation to become the alpha within us. I love getting fit for contacts, getting fit for teeth, doing the prosthetics. I think that's such a cool thing to do when you're an actor to to not only emotionally try and go there as your character but you physically get help and and those prosthetics man when those things were in and and the i had the chops on and the freaking red eyes and the teeth like dude it was game time and it it just it helped tremendously and those are fun jobs to work on well speaking of of like the prosthetics and stuff with Creel, I
0: know a lot of that was visual effects. Did you prefer one or the other? Like saying having the prosthetics, or I'm not exactly sure how they did on any Shield. If it was just dots or yeah. something, because they because he's absorbing man, so it's
1: like he's like, right. oh he's concrete now or diamond now, right, you know? right, yeah. It was kind of a mix on Shield. The majority of it was CGI. They had such a huge budget for for shield every episode they put a lot of time into when I transformed so I remember when before before we started they track they put tracking dots all over my body and I stood on this kind of spinning pedestal in my underwear that spun real slow and there were cameras all the way around it And it, you know, just captured every image and nook and cranny of my body. So whenever we did have a a piece that come up where I needed to change into concrete or whatever it may have been, a brick wall, that's what they use those images for. Those are definitely harder when you're acting because you have to try and match, you know, the intensity of, of that transformation when it's not happening to you at that time. So yeah, I would say it's different. It's just, it's, um, I would say it's, it's a lot more fun for me. I, even though the prosthetics take forever, I love that. I really like that.
3: Do you have any special memories from the set of Teen Wolf?
1: Yeah. So we were, it was, it was one of those night shoots when we were shooting at, it was an abandoned mall and I can't remember exactly where it is. It's like somewhere near Santa Monica, I think. It's in Hawthorne. Yeah it, yeah, it is. That's yeah. Right. you're right. It man. is out there. Yeah, and <clears throat> it was a night shoot, and I was super tired, and uh, it had been a long night, and I had a lot of fight scenes that night, and it was freezing cold, and and normally I'm not real like sensitive to that, but for whatever reason that night I just could not stop, like I was just frozen. So I got up and I started just kind of walking in circles around the set just to stay warm. And because after a while you can start to find yourself just bitching and moaning a little bit, I guess about, man, I'm tired. I can't believe you've been here freaking 15 hours now. And what am I doing? And and then, so I get up and I start walking around and, and just circles. And, um, and, and for me, it just praying a little bit and I, I, I'm a Christian. So I, I just, just kind of getting into my rhythm of, of gratitude and being thankful. And what was really funny is I'm, I'm watching another scene take place and it was between Tyler and um, both Tylers, was between Heckler and Posey. And I was just watching it and I was just, it just hit me. This is a special moment. This is all of the times where I've sat at my house or my apartment going, God, I wish I was working instead of You know, or I had an audition coming up or, you know, when I've just been out of work and it hit me like, wow, it doesn't matter how long I'll, I'll stay here another 10 hours or what I just, just a huge moment of gratitude of like, I'm living out my dream right now. And it was amazing it was an amazing moment that's awesome
2: it's a wonderful story yeah that's yeah, wonderful i love that are there any characters or actors on the show that you wish you would have had more screen time with
1: yeah i wish that i got it w- would have gotten to work with hecklin a little bit more we had some you know we had some fight scenes in the elevator and at the at the mall and just because of my character who he was but there was a moment there i was i was hoping wishing i guess in the writing where Ennis turned a little bit and and got to got to hang out or at least join forces with Tyler Hecklin. I think he's a hell of an actor, great guy. Absolutely. Probably a little bit more screen time with him.
2: I think fans would have been really interested to see that. Yeah, yeah.
1: I know I would. What draws you to more physical
0: roles like Ennis on Team Wolf or Carl Creel on Agents of Shield?
1: I don't know if I'm so drawn to them as I just they're drawn to me. You know, I, I think I think the, the really what it is is just my physicality lends itself to those types of characters. Um, I, I I love and revel the opportunity to to play characters that don't magnify my size so much. But, you know, it, it's also, I guess, a gift and a curse because there's certain times where, man, I, I love the fact that I get to be physical on set. I love the fact that I get these kind of physical, powerful, big guys. So I think it's just a function of, I'm a big dude, and and uh, a lot of those roles just kind of come to me, which is nice, you know?
3: What was it like being on Wolf Watch?
1: Oh, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of, anytime that I can do like a talk show or or be a part of an event from a, you know, from a show that I've been on standpoint and answer questions from fans or be engaged just with, with the fan base is, man, it's so much fun. I mean, that's why we do this, right, is to touch people. And, and to, to be able to, I guess, be on a show that interacts with the fan base and you get to answer questions for fans and, and be a part of, of their everyday life as yourself is always just a blast. I mean, that's, that's, I, that's what drew me to acting is, is growing up. I, man, I love going to the movies and it was kind of a function of being from a broken home. Uh, That was just one of the things we did to kind of I guess, past time and, and take us out of our reality. And that just kind of continued my whole life. And so whenever I get the opportunity to, to talk to fans or sign an autograph or take a picture, or interact with the fan base, that's, that's one of the best parts of this job. That's fantastic. So
0: Teen Wolf is known for having a lot of great villains on it, but yeah. what was it like being in the only pack of alpha badasses on yeah. the show? <laughs> it's like Y'all were pretty singular.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And dude, there were, there were some good ones, man. Callie, she was amazing. Ducalian. We had, we we did, it was a good group of, and it was, it was uh, what I loved about the group was everyone was different and, mm-hmm. and the characters were so like different and well thought out from each other. I love Deucalion's character. I thought his character was brilliantly written and I loved how, how it was played. Like I said, being a part of a group that gets, to, that gets to go into an already successful show and make an impact like we did is awesome. It's awesome.
2: Do you have any theories on Essence's backstory such as how he became an alpha or how Deucalion influenced him to kill his former pack?
1: Even though he's an enforcer, I think Ennis has a softer side, right? I think Ennis has a longing and a yearning to be part of something big or bigger than himself and maybe isn't the smartest guy I don't think du- I don't think Ennis is dumb by any means but I think that his his desire to be a part of something bigger um, is probably what lured him because Deucalion had such a way with words mm. and and made him feel like he was the leader of this pack if he joined it. I think that's probably why he was enticed by, by Deucalion. And I think it was a function of probably some disrespect in his own pack that led him to be persuaded by Deucalion to turn on them and join this other one.
2: I always love to hear actors' like thoughts process of what they think happened with the character how they got to this point even if we don't get to see that on screen
1: yeah yeah yeah, no i mean that's all part of creating the character right you got to give it a backstory so well you know where your thoughts and your actions are motivated from and think within us especially you know what would what would cause an alpha uh, enforcer slash possibly leader of the original pack to kill his own pack a challenge disrespect someone coming along whisper in his ear you can have more why are you staying? you look at them how they disrespected you i mean simple turn and you get caught up in that raptured kind of emotional and Ennis was definitely an emotional creature.
3: Do you think he had an emissary that he had to kill too? Like Kali killed Julia? Julia. Julia, right? Right.
1: I don't think so. I think with Ennis, his goals and in what he what he wanted were singular and that was like I said to just be part of a pack that was bigger than himself but that he also felt like he was the leader of even though he wasn't yeah
2: if the bite had taken do you think that NS would have taken Paige away to be part of his pack or do you think he would have left her with the hail pack
0: I think he would have taken it interesting that would have been an interesting like yeah. what if Like, what if if that had been the thing, you know? So that's fun.
3: This is also related to the Paige storyline, but we talked about it on the podcast a little bit, but Calissa has a theory that the events of Visionary with Paige, that that was actually Peter's story. Like he was telling it, but it was really about himself. Like she was his girlfriend and he wanted her to get the bite, but he tells them that it's about Derek because he doesn't really want to share that much of himself, I guess. What do you think about that idea that like Peter was the one who approached Ennis with this plan?
1: Wow. That's even more interesting, right? That is, that's, (laughs) that's jumping into a a wormhole of, um, of creation that, that I wouldn't even know where to begin with. That's something Jeff would be better at answering. (laughs) (laughs) I have no Fair enough. idea, yeah. yeah. Fair enough,
0: yeah. If you could have been a supernatural creature besides an alpha werewolf on the show, what would you like to
1: have been? To be honest with you, I think the, the powers that Ennis had and his abilities, I would have just liked to have seen those come to fruition. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that I would have changed it I think I think that I would have just liked to have seen those unfold more with a you know the, the lengthening of the storyline or whatever but I absolutely loved that character and what he was able to do and and the powers that he was given I think he was at the top of the food chain in my opinion I wouldn't want to want to get <laughs> another one well, hey, all right. <laughs> honestly like he was he was such an interesting character to me you know I don't mm-hmm. care it, it, his powers were awesome. I don't, I don't Absolutely. really, have, yeah, I don't have another, I wouldn't have had another desire for him. If it ain't broke. So like, yeah, <laughs> man, that's
2: right. Do you prefer playing he- a hero or a villain? And do you think that Ennis was a villain? Would you consider him a bad guy?
1: Yeah. Villains are a lot of fun to play. They are a lot of fun to play. And I think it's, it's because I live my life in such a way in, in my real life where feel responsible and hold myself highly responsible for taking care of my family, taking care of my parents. So I guess I see myself or I try to always be in my, in my own life, my own hero. And, and I feel like I'm constantly chasing a good guy. So it's always kind of a, it's a nice break sometimes when I get the job of a villain because I get to take a break and I get to within that character I can use and and get to unload a lot of frustrations that I that I wouldn't on my family. So playing a villain, man, it, you can you can really just be wide open with your emotions, and that's a lot of fun sometimes. And nice. scary, and it's scary too because you realize what you're capable of. <laughs> you realize what you can be capable of in your real life, and uh, so it's it's fun to play the monster, and then and then know that you can you can bottle him back up for a while. you need to go back to reality
3: so a lot of the villains on Teen Wolf don't stay dead so if Ennis had come back to life what do you think he would have been doing after that
1: oh he cleaned house and took charge for sure (laughs) oh gosh yeah it was straight after Deucalion for freaking trying crushing my skull or trying to crush my skull you know that would have been you know most wanted number one <laughs> um, and, and and then yeah, just knocking them down one after one, cleaning house, and and creating a new pack, hundred percent, being the star villain of the new the new season. There you go. uh
2: Do you have a favorite scene or episode of the show?
1: Yeah, I loved I loved when we when we shot in the the barn, um, and the, the they had the real wolves on set, and I had the big speech in the barn with everyone around. I love that scene. I love that episode that was a really special episode i just felt like i got to i, I got to act a little bit more instead of just use my physicality I, I got to actually you know express some feelings and thoughts and 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 uh and anger and and you know try and rouse the 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 crowd so to speak and and those are always fun moments especially when you have a lot of people around and you're working with live animals and the set was so cool man that barn was awesome and all the special effects with with my nails running along the corrugated metal. I mean, it was so cool. So yeah, it was nice. one of my favorites for sure.
2: Definitely yeah. one of my favorite uh, scenes from that season.
1: Oh, Cool. When you're carving through the sheet metal, it's a very
0: evocative moment, and then it's it's also just a great image with all the sparks yeah. Yeah. and everything. And yeah. I was actually lucky enough to visit set that night. I actually have a picture from oh yeah from yeah I was I was back when I was just a PA on the show, and I wasn't working with the writers yet. And I went there to drop off, I think, like um, call sheets for the next day or something. And as I was walking back to my car, I was like, I haven't taken any pictures yet. So I just turned around and took a picture of the barn and there's like (laughs) the equipment around it and and flags and stuff with the lights. And uh, yeah, it
1: was it was nice to get out and
0: see that location. It was, it was fun. Yeah. That was a cool,
1: cool moment, man. I'll never forget. It was the first time I'd actually worked with real or real wolves had been on set. And I had no idea that you, you shouldn't look a wolf directly in their eyes and, and the, the wolf trainers or wranglers or whatever that were on set, just kind of let everyone know, please don't stare at the wolf directly. Don't look at the wolf directly. That's, you know that's a sure sign of like game on and i was yeah. like Ooh, okay he was a big boy too like yeah some big ones out that night
2: a wolf sounds like a diva <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah don't look at me while i'm doing my scene
2: <laughs> you're interrupting my process yes
0: once i became a writer i too told people not to look me in the eye
3: directly in the and, eyes and yeah. all that
0: because, that's right yeah that's how it works. So. <laughs> uh, Team Wolf has a very passionate fan base. Do you have any memorable interactions with fans you can tell us about?
1: Uh, yeah, when I did, I did a uh, BiteCon, con and, um, oh, dude, I mean, hundreds. You know, we we sat in a giant auditorium, I don't know, at the, at the hotel and answered questions from, you know, a dozen or more or, or more fans, that was great. That whole weekend was awesome. Being a part of BiteCon was really fun. Like I said, the, when, you, when you get on a show like Teen Wolf or a show that has a massive fan base already, it's so much fun to interact with the fans because they follow the story so closely and they have so many ideas in their head about which way characters should go and what choices they should make. It's really wild. I you know it's they they really they just connect and it's what's really interesting to me is how certain people they connect really heavily with one character or a or a certain character and that's their guy right like mm-hmm. like you know I had a couple of people come up to me and they're like you were the baddest alpha like on the show period and then there are other people that are like yeah Uh, that's that was that was brian wade he played ennis Uh, on to the next right so it's it's always interesting to see you know what character or what people you know and why people connect like why they chose ennis is like wow like that guy that's my dude right it's just it's bizarre but it's awesome because you get to talk to him about it and then they'll tell you they'll tell you why um and it's just it's super fun that's awesome that's
0: fantastic it is it is always interesting seeing when you have a show like Teen Wolf that has so many hundred episodes so many seasons and so many characters just all the reasons people pick their favorite character you know and all that it's always fun just because there are so many characters to choose from it's not like oh well there's three on this show so that's (laughs) all you get it's like nope there's like Like 150 characters, like speaking parts you can choose from. And everyone just has a different favorite. And all the reasons are always fantastic, just because all that really matters is that that character spoke to them and grabbed their attention. And that's right. it's
1: it's wonderful. Just yeah, wonderful. That's right. That's
3: right. Are there any upcoming projects you can tell us about?
1: Uh, yeah. So I just finished a movie that actually just, it just released November 26, right after Thanksgiving. So it's out now on Nickelodeon and Paramount Plus. Um, and this this movie was so much fun. It was my first kids movie. So, and it was based on, uh, it's called The Loud House, A Very Loud Christmas. So it's a Christmas movie, which is so it's my first kid movie, first holiday movie. And The Loud House is a very popular animated series on Nickelodeon. Cool. Oh called The Loud House. So it's been on for six seasons now. And it's, it's become so popular that they cast all the characters live action. And, and we just did this movie. So all of the kids, it's, it's based on the, it's the Loud family and there's 10 children, a mom and a dad, 10 kids, one son, the rest daughters. And, and the, the central character is the boy. His name is Lincoln Loud and, and all his sisters ranging from college age all the way down to I think two years old and everything in between. And it's just all about the crazy shenanigans that happened in a giant, loud family, but their last name is loud. And it just so happens Lincoln's hero, Lincoln's idol, is this character named Rip Hardcore. <laughs> I like it, I like it. Adorable, That's I love fantastic. that. So Rip is this crazy cross of Ric Flair, Crocodile Dundee and Steve Irwin he's a wilderness survival expert who just is just this wild character Um, and what's really cool about him on the animated series he has a shaved head which is why I'm sure I got the audition because a lot of my a lot of my jobs I've got a shaved head and anyways I had my hair really grown out at the time I got the audition and um, the day before i actually got the audition i was like man my hair's getting too long i'm over it it's the summertime uh. but instead of shaving it all off i shaved this crazy mohawk and it it was it was awesome like this badass mohawk right and then i get this audition i was like ooh i'm going to keep it <laughs> and just you know see what they say and if if they don't like the mohawk i can sh- you know whatever i can shave it off not a big deal So, but, but in the animated series, Rip also, he wears a bandana, a red bandana, like tied up around his forehead, right? Like real, like hardcore wilderness survival expert dude. So I go into the audition or put it, you know, put it on tape or whatever. And I got this Mohawk sticking up in a red bandana. And I just I slay this audition. I knew I did. It was, it, it was just wild. It was so much fun, full on comedy. So, anyways, I end up ha- they they send notes. I I redid the audition even bigger, and and then I end up getting the job. And they loved the mohawk so much that they not only let me keep the mohawk, but. Um, I end up chasing this, this wild beast in the, in the movie. If you ever, if you watch it, it's a really cute Christmas movie. It's only an hour and 15 minutes. So, so watch it if you have time, but I end up chasing this fake beast through this town um, on like a, like a side-by-side, right? Like a, like a little Mm four-wheeler. And of course I have to, I wear a helmet, but they love the Mohawk so much that even on the helmet, I put the helmet on they put a fake mohawk <laughs> on the helmet and a fake bandana. It was amazing. I love that. That's awesome. That's, fantastic. That's great. That's great. Oh, it was amazing. It, it was so <laughs> much fun. So so I just finished that um, this year. And then um, now the beard, the hair is growing back in for a project that I've been working on for six years. Wow. Okay. Um, nice. I, have co-wrote, uh, produce it, uh, will be producing it and co-producing it and um, playing this, this title role as well. And it's called Luso. Cool. And it's a Revolutionary War period piece. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be epic, man. So it's basically based on, it's a re- it's a true story about a, a guy named Peter Francisco who was kidnapped uh, at five years old, um, off the island of Terceira, in the middle of the Atlantic, it's a Portuguese settled island. He is from Portuguese royalty. He was kidnapped by pirates, dropped off on the shores of Virginia, sold into slavery at five years old. Didn't know English. Didn't know where he was. Sold into slavery uh, by a wealthy plantation owner by the name of Mr. Anderson, is is what we're calling him. Anyways, he just happened to be the the uncle. To James Madison, who happened to be best friends with George Washington. So this, this character uh, gets sold into slavery, five years old, and grows up on this plantation. By the time he's 16 years old, he's six foot five, 260 pounds. This just grows into this giant human. And this is, this is real. There are eight monuments up and down the East Coast uh, in honor that stand in honor of Peter Francisco. And one of them is is actually in the battlefield, uh, the Battle of Guilford Courthouse in Greensboro, North Carolina. On this monument, which is a 15 foot tall monument for Peter Francisco, there's a plaque with a quote from General George Washington saying, "Had it not been for Peter Francisco and winning this this pivotal battle, we would have lost this this battle and with it the war." Um, wow! Wow! So there are eight monuments up and down the East Coast and. Right now, I think it's 10 states that actually celebrate Peter Francisco Day, which is March 15th. Oh, wow. Um, and the reason we don't know about him in our history books is because one, he was an infantryman, and two, he was he was a slave. So he helped us. Without Peter Francisco and, and his heroics, we quite possibly could still be living under a British flag. And right. the reason I came wow. to know this story is um, a friend of mine is... Uh, a direct descendant of Peter Francisco. Oh wow, that's very cool. cool. So yeah. he's done all this crazy research, um, wrote a book about Peter Francisco <clears throat> about eight years ago, and then did a, a documentary that that the History Channel put on. And um, he brought me on board about six years ago, and now here we are. We just we just got uh, our investors, and and we're starting to roll now with reproduction fantastic wow. that's awesome. really really cool yeah so it's going to be a nine episode limited series
0: well that's fantastic and i i for one look forward to watching all of those words
1: be on yes, screen right. because
0: you had me at revolutionary war so yes. i was like yes mm, nom 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 i want history so <laughs> yes awesome be awesome man
1: fantastic
0: really cool. yeah awesome well brian thank you so much for joining yes. us uh and being yes, on the podcast. So this has been absolutely wonderful talking about a character in a show that we all love. And that's kind of the whole point of this podcast is that we get yeah. to talk to people who worked on the thing that we love very much. Yeah, and cool. it's been a blast so far and you've made it even better now. And it's just wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time
1: to talk thank to us you. today. Oh, guys, you're so welcome. I'm I'm humbled to be on. So thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. Well, you have yeah. a wonderful evening or afternoon still, I guess for you. And yeah. uh, and uh we'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. Thanks, guys. We had a great time talking with Brian, but now it's back to spoilers. So, do you
3: think that the Dorag had to take the victims while they were scared or is she just being
0: a bitch? That's that's a really good question. I think I think it's just horror stuff, you know, like later when they're figuring it out, they're like, "Oh, virgin's warriors, not Scared virgins and scared warriors.
3: Yeah. And I know that Caitlin and Emily split a tab of X. So that seems like the explanation at first, but it seemed like Heather hallucinated too before the Dirac took her, right? Because all the bottles were like flying off the shelves and shattering around her, but then it was all instantly gone as soon as she's taken. So it seems unlikely that it's a coincidence.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe they do have to be scared since she's making them hallucinate something that frightens them.
3: Because otherwise she could make them hallucinate something enticing to get them to come to her willingly, you know, like the whole catch more flies with honey. Couldn't she just as easily have been like, look, here's cake and a hot lesbian celebrity. You know, I'd be like, yes, Mr. Rock, here I am reporting for duty.
0: It's Melissa Etheridge. Y'all know who that is, right? Yeah, they're too young for that. (laughs) Well, maybe she's working under Monsters, Inc. rules, where she doesn't realize yet that if you make them happy, you get more energy out of them.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I definitely thought of Jennifer's body with this. The whole, like, I need them fright—I need you frightened. I need you hopeless.
0: Oh, yeah. She mm. feeds off that. Yeah.
2: I will say, like, maybe you can weigh in on this, Will, because Kate and I, we interpret it differently. Kate thinks that the bugs were hallucination for Emily and that Caitlin didn't see them I think Caitlin did see them because she sees the first bugs that she knocks off and then she's still like looking at that like where Emily's looking while screaming she's not saying anything to Emily like what's going on what what what's the matter what are you freaking out about it seems like she knows what the issue is to me like that she sees them too so there's first the one bug that she knocks off. That, right. Uh, Caitlyn knocks off, and then they start kissing. Then as uh, she's kissing Emily's neck, Emily looks up and sees like bugs covering the tent. I think. It out.
0: I think that first bug is real, and then after that, I think that's only what Caitlyn's girlfriend Emily. Emily, I think that's only what Emily sees. I don't think.
2: Well, why don't you think she like reacts her like it shows her looking to me like she's looking at like the tent,
0: like, right? The but she's not. Of it and.
2: But she also doesn't say anything like, what's, what, what's the matter? What are you upset about? Like, what's the issue?
0: That's true, but she doesn't really have a reaction either. She right, is that, looking, but she's not yeah. like,
2: oh, it, it's clearly scary. But she also doesn't, she's also someone who's in nature and doesn't care about bugs as much. And I mean, I just feel like- I feel yeah, like that would be I feel shocking like though. Yeah,
3: I feel like that's but, different from like one bug versus like the entire, because that's like- that's like some biblical plague shit, yeah, right that's, there. It, that's not like this is a normal camping occurrence.
2: I guess I feel like her reaction is kind of weird either way because she's also like, "What?" She's not like, "What? What are you freaking out about? What? What do you see?" Right. Like that, what, that's true. I, I agree. It she's feels like, like maybe, "Hey, get back in the tent."
3: Yeah, it feels like maybe just because of how quickly it was cut, we don't get enough time with because we really only get like the one shot of her yeah. face, right? Yeah. And in that time, we neither get her asking Emily for clarification, nor a reaction that I feel like would be commensurate with seeing a swarm of yeah. insects completely covering your tent.
0: Yeah. I, you know I what think, I mean? I think it's a confluence of two things, if that's the right word to use. I think it's cut too fast for action and suspense and horror to really get the reaction from Caitlyn, you know but yeah. i i believe all those bugs are a hallucination i think the first one was real and then the drock who is peeking in through the zipper saw that and it was like Perf. jackpot and uh, hey she was she was watching two virgins about to have sex so she is kind of a uh,
3: i don't think Caitlyn was a virgin yeah
0: still because she says
3: it's going to be emily's first time right
0: no, gonna I, meant be from, no sure. I meant from the first episode she was going to watch oh,
2: oh two okay, virgins have
0: sex and then broke it up so um so perfect
2: so in the script it actually has caitlin knocking away two bugs mm-hmm. like it says she thumbs her hand against the beetle the silhouette disappears but another beetle begins crawling up and she thumbs down away as well okay. uh and then it has emily starts screaming and it says caitlin lurches back in shock and then glances up to see what emily's looking at hundreds of beetles crawling across the tent direct silhouettes pressing down but it still doesn't i mean it doesn't strictly say she does see them to me that makes it seem like she does but i agree i mean
3: that's that's how i take that but it wasn't how it felt watching it
0: for yeah me. it it in it's the still, script it feels yeah. like she sees they're both seeing but in with the cutting of the episode it feels like it's just one person is is hallucinating
3: like even someone who loves the outdoors if if you had like hundreds of beetles landing on the tent that would not be like i love nature that would not be an i love nature moment that would be what in the blue (laughs) perfect yeah like (laughs) what is this is this are we in a giant roach motel like what is happening. That's not yeah. a normal, that's not like a, oh, snakes don't scare me moment. That is not that kind of moment, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah. it just is interesting to me. And I was just curious like, yeah, is it that she's making them like fully hallucinate? Or yeah, like, was this stuff like really happening?
0: Yeah, I don't think the stuff was actually happening. I think the first one was real and the rest were a hallucination just for emily especially with her disappearance which i feel is a cheat you know i think that's i, I think that is the equivalent of matt and the Canema disappearing outside the party house where it's mm-hmm. just this is freaky something freaky is happening and this is our visualization of information the freakiness. of the freakiness yeah i think i think that moment with emily is just some artistic flourish on the part of the story because I don't think she actually like teleported Emily (laughs) because if she had that power then the season would have been so much shorter yeah but it is I mean this is another instance of you know the script reads one way and then the show comes across as something else just because of the acting and the editing and Mm -hmm. and and just shot composition and stuff like that can definitely change the intention of a scene so
3: right and I think I also took it as a hallucination in context, having seen how Heather disappeared, because that's true, it, it seemed like she was hallucinating the bottles, and that's why when Styles got down there, nothing was out of place. Like there weren't any, right. not even just that it was cleaned up, but like there weren't any missing bottles. Because yeah. if there were, it would be like my daughter's been kidnapped, and they took a bunch of our expensive wine. <laughs>
0: For yeah, some reason. maybe maybe that tactic, because in both cases, that gets the victim to move somewhere particular Mm -hmm. and maybe that's Mm -hmm. what because she's i mean the rock's pretty weak at this point so maybe it's she's she's so weak that she couldn't just overpower someone on her own Mm -hmm. that she's using these hallucinations like to get them to her so that right because she she can't stalk maybe or something like that
3: as leslie vernon once said it it's a lot of hard work to create these stalking moments so if you don't have the time or energy for that yet you got to come up with another route.
0: I love that movie. It's the rise of Leslie Vernon, kids, behind the mask. Check it out. Very good movie.
3: So during the scene when they're talking about is the high school empty and then it cuts to Jennifer, Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking, what kind of dumb bitch would read about recent local history and think I could be at the Beacon Hills High School at night? Answer, a guilty bitch.
2: (laughs) I know, this is like, this episode I feel like I just like knew for certain during the first original run of it that was like, this bitch is evil.
3: This is Red Flag
0: City right here.
2: And I feel like there's not actual supplies down the boiler room. That's, she's just like making it look like that's why she was down there.
0: Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, I love all this sneaking around and murdering people for power, but uh, I just hate how long it takes to grade these papers.
3: <laughs> when are these kids going to understand what an unreliable narrator is? <laughs> Speaking of which, it is so sad that Derek goes into the boiler room and does all this to save Jennifer's life you know, knowing everything
2: now. Yeah, it is.
3: I would really like to know what she would have done if Derek hadn't come in there.
0: Me too. Fanfic writers? Get on that for us.
2: We have a pitch. Yes. I think she would have been able to like overpower them.
0: I could see that maybe in the power surge of just having killed, I think 19 people that night alone because there's so many deaths this season. She probably could have could have done it
3: but I, I think it would be interesting to see how she would do it and things like that
0: oh i, I bet she you know would use hallucinations to get them against them like maybe turn i don't know maybe may, like make them fight each other by making each hallucinate something else type of thing
2: i'm very confused by this though i, I assume that they did know like already that she was gonna be evil um, oh but yeah, i'm sure and that she was the one behind the killings but like that's kind of a busy evening for her she was like she killed the guy at the pool she killed Emily and then she just went back to the school why because at that point she was already at the school before they even just come came up with their plan to like run them into the school at Mm -hmm. least as far as we saw the way they showed it so like, was she really just like, oh, I really do have to get cracking on these papers. I already did my two murders for the evening. So <laughs> I was good on that regard. And now I just really need to buckle down and tell Scott he got be plus.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, I think this is just falling down in the writing where I, I I think they needed an empty place and we only have one empty place at night in Beacon Hills and that's the mm-hmm. school where they that's
2: what she thought too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, but so I, I think- because they were, they had to keep the secret. You know, it couldn't reveal anything yet, because that's got to come in like six episodes. This is just an unfortunate issue where they need her. They need, they need to trap. You know, the plan and the story are kind of inter, inter interconnecting here where so the plan is we got to sequester these powerful wolves from anybody okay the school is empty but we also need to make it kind of scary too so we need to have a non-super there it's like okay well that's kind of only the teacher who we just introduced who's also the bad guy you know so it kind of doesn't really make sense because you're right it's kind of a full night for ms blake She had a
3: lot of names on her dance card for the evening. Yes. I actually think it might've worked better if they just didn't show her in the school until the heartbeat thing. Yeah. So that it could be like, maybe she wasn't planning to be there, but then she's also just like, she wants to know what's going on with the supers of Beacon Hills in case that becomes relevant to her plan. Yeah, And so she's just like, oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, I think the writers chose dread over surprise, whereas they want the audience to dread um, watching our heroes make a plan and they know there's a flaw in it, but the heroes don't know there's a flaw in it instead of having the surprise right. of three heartbeats instead yeah. of two.
3: But the, the problem with that is we've met Ms. Blake like one time. so She's innocent! It, I mean, but... It, Because we've only seen her like one time, the fact that it's her in there doesn't add anything to it. It feels the same way as any random innocent human who could have been in there. She's not someone that we've seen before and feel something about.
0: That's true. Yeah, they
2: just want like it to look like, oh, someone who is innocent is gonna be in peril.
0: Right. That's
2: and our heroes are gonna have to step
0: in and save the day. Maybe unless we get to the next bit that we want to talk about unless the writers already knew that they wanted to have this part
3: well so it it occurs to me too that not just that it would have been interesting to know what jennifer would have done if Derek hadn't come in but that jennifer could have helped Derek in this scene as we later realize that's true but she's just kind of like hmm, let's see how this goes
0: well do you think this is the moment where she's thinking i need Derek"? Maybe, maybe she's just letting it play out to see whether he survives. And if he does,
3: she's
2: going to get her a piece of that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, she, (laughs) she looks around the corner of that shelf at the end of the night as Derek's coming around to get her looking like death warmed over and thinks, perfect.
0: Uh, You mean a Greek God down from Olympus?
3: More like you look like someone who's good at falling on swords.
0: (laughs) Yep. I will see you for some freaky sex magic later. But she gave good performance there, looking all shaken and innocent.
2: Yes, she did. I am meek. I am meek lady. Please save me, sir. I only have a stapler as my defense.
3: (laughs) And an English degree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice,
3: nice. Oh, Ben there. That's all I have at my disposal too.
0: Well. Hopefully a werewolf god will come down from Olympus. <sighs>
3: Poor Derek. He's just like, I feel like as the show goes on, we see more and more of just how much he doesn't know what to do and is just like, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try. I'm going to get back up again for the millionth time and try to protect people. And uh, I just, he makes me sad. Yeah. It's what he does.
0: It's what he does. He endears. Yep. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 3, Episode 4, Unleashed. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills.
3: Dude, it's Beacon Hills.